you see Apple's big entry into the AI uh, language generation race. Well, I mean, it's something. Yeah. Better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> big, big splash. Yeah, I mean, like, the there's obviously so much hype around the uh, language model stuff. Some of it warranted. Like, it is impressive um, tech demos. Mm-hmm. Still waiting a bit to see it, like, kind of become perfected enough to be, you know, like, an essential product. Like, the, the stuff where it's, like, in, you know, the, the new thing is just basically just have, like, a AI chatbot in every single application that exists so like you know bing's got it in web search and microsoft office announced they're putting it inside of microsoft word and stuff and like there's some utility there because you can like generate a a form letter without with you know as if you've written it but you just say what you want and then the ai does it um but obviously there's lots of limitations there's lots of errors you always have to go back and check what the ai says because it's not guaranteed to be accurate so like i was impressed when because i've used the online like you know you can OpenAI have the free demo of the ChatGPT thing on the internet. And I, when I used that, I, I, I was impressed. It, it works better than you'd think it would. I'll put it that way. But there's still enough of like edge cases where you can see that we're like getting there, but it's not quite enough for it to be like... Like you couldn't just supplant a, um, like a ChatGPT bot with like Siri or Google Assistant or something just to have it work because it will just tell you things that are completely wrong. Um, although you could argue Siri does that now anyway. But you know what I mean? Like it's not like a... The, 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 we're on the edge of some crazy stuff, but we're not quite there. Um, so what Apple's doing um, right now is kind of testing the waters, it seems. So we had an exclusive on 9to5Mac uh, this past week where in the latest TVOS beta, Apple has included a new framework for Siri natural language generation capability. And basically within the Siri code, uh, there will be ways for it to rely on a language model similar in vain to the ChatGTP stuff, probably not as powerful because it's running on device, that will allow it to generate, you know, human-readable text. Because uh, right now, all of Siri stuff um, either has a few predefined phrases that it has locally or it's going off to the back-end server to generate, you know, the response. Um, and so the back-end, and the back-end is mostly predefined messages too with, like, templates and stuff, but just, like, a lot of them, you know, like few thousand whereas obviously on devices like a hundred or so but with a language model you can essentially get like infinite text generation and maybe you can ask the same question multiple times and get different ways of it being worded every single time to make it feel more human and more natural and maybe even um more sophisticated responses right um and so that's the kind of promise and that's kind of the destination but obviously there's a there's a ways to get there and so what apple's doing in tvs 16 is kind of really testing the waters by including uh, natural language generation capabilities for when you're telling uh, for when siri's telling jokes so if you're asking siri to tell me a joke there's a chance that you might be in the like the beta program where they rely on the on the on the language model to generate a response rather than it going to its you know inbuilt dictionary of 100 or so jokes that it has embedded at, at all times it will have some kind of freewheeling ai aspect nature to it where it's going to be generated on the fly. Um, the 95 Matter Report also says that f- this code is also might be available for timers and, and that kind of um, facility, but that's not enabled yet. And obviously, the Apple TV operating system doesn't have a way for you to set a timer because if you try right now to ask the Apple TV to set a timer, it just says it doesn't have a clock app and it can't do anything. <laughs> um, so the only, but you can see how maybe timers um, could be available on you know the WatchOS or iPhone OS eventually with some natural language stuff. So rather than it being like you might be able to ask for a timer in a more complicated unnatural you know esoteric way than you do right now where you need like pretty rigid um there's like four or five different ways you can make siri start a timer but if maybe there's some ai involved it could 
work out your intent better and give you a more custom reply. Mm. Um, uh, but obviously, starting with jokes, why? Like, why would you start with jokes? Well, it's an easy place for them to begin with, which isn't too dangerous. It doesn't conflict with the actual role of the product. And by starting the Apple TV, you're starting a very small user base. You can check there isn't any crazy things going wrong because what we've seen with like you know the bing the bing ai or whatever is that people immediately try and test the boundaries of it and even the people that are releasing it i.e the companies they don't 100 percent know all of its capabilities or behaviors because it's a an ai that's making up as it goes along in, in many ways and you can't you can't qa every single question that you could ask this language model so by starting the apple tv by starting it on this very subset of series functionality, i.e. asking it for a joke, so nothing productive, they can be like, look, we're giving it a very, 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 very small uh, beta test, A-B test, and if it works, they can expand it and introduce it into the entire platform. But for now, it's in this one little area uh, just to see if it's actually viable or not, which I think is great because at least they're in they're in the market, right? Like, they're, they're looking at it, they're looking at the technology, they're evaluating it with, you know, scope to expand it would be somewhat irresponsible if they just replaced Siri Hellsay with a language model today. Mm. And so they're starting small in an area which isn't too dangerous. So, so should we be asking Siri on the Apple TV jokes? Is like, are we confident in the way that they can expose this? Or is it just if... You know, it, it's it, unclear it, it whether might, it's like enabled or not yet. Yeah. yeah. Like mm. it's in their code, but it might be like turned on by like a backend flag or something. Yeah. But I guess you could find out if you just, just asked the apple tv for jokes and see how many jokes it gets through and then because like you can do it on the iphone and if you ask for jokes you ask you know 30 times it will start repeating jokes theoretically if you're running off a language model you could just have infinite jokes of varying quality so that's a way to find out um but it's probably like they'll enable it for like one geographic region for you know so many thousands of people and then evaluate the responses and go from there i see yeah we had a conversation with my kid my five-year-old uh at school pickup this week where like Siri and, and and some request had made a like hu- you know a, a response that as if it were human and my son said you know, I, I didn't know Siri, is Siri a real person I said well let's find out let's ask and then Siri responds and tells you you know that it's not um, and then so then he was confused I'm like it, it tries to be relatable tries to be funny sometimes but it's 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 not really a person so uh, yeah the, the the TV thing that's it's interesting. I mean, we, I'd love to know more about that. I hope that more comes of this, that, that this isn't just like the only thing that we ever see about it. But um, hmm. I, I've used uh, ChatGPT on the web and then was quick to... When I hear about people who are like haven't been into the uh, betas of like Bing and now Google Bard, I don't know how it goes, but I, I was in Bing like the next day um, and you know, had a little bit of fun with that, but that seemed like less like loose than just using Chat GPT on the web. Um, and then Google Bard came out this week, and that's getting a lot of criticism as not being like as capable and being even dumber in terms of giving bad results. Um, but really, I mean, that gives you the. It, it's kind of I, I keep it in a tab open because it's like you can search or something and get links and, and look for the result or you can ask the Google Bard, uh, you know, what you're asking. And there's things like I would ask, um, you know, what's the coldest day on record and what's the hottest day on record and what are the projections for, you know, when I'm 80 and um, things like that and, uh, you know, how does electricity work? How does um, how do computers work, like processing power, et cetera? 
and uh, th- things that like you you could Google for, and you would not get like a very brief summary for. You could learn all about it, but um, using the using the Bard thing to just get a you know three paragraph explanation that's enough to satisfy your you know your itch is is pretty good. It made me think like, hmm. Siri came out as a beta in um, 2011, and it was a beta for a long, long time. And eventually it wasn't anymore. But it, I, I would totally use a mode on Siri that's like... Uh, Siri already wants to be more conversational and less like, here are some results, but it falls back to results so often um, that if you could opt into um, you know, a, a different version of Siri or like a beta version of Siri that did have some of the things where it's like gives you the, the disclaimer that you already get from Google and et and others. It's like, this might not be factual, might not be up to date, um, doesn't represent the views of our company. And I, I would use that just because of all the times where um, you, you, you don't want to get hit with a list of search results that can be sent to your phone. You want to get something back and it can't. Uh, uh, I, would, I mean, I would, that's, that's, a, that's a, a viable next step, right? They could add mm-hmm. a little setting toggle for like, you know siri beta program and then yeah. you can be part of the more you know language model enhanced version and test it out and be aware that you know it can be erratic in some ways and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah yeah but not not replace the entirety of, of of what siri is on every platform and then you've got to um rely on on siri with with a language model behind it for controlling your airpods or carplay or your home pods or you know your headset your vr headset or, you know at car in the future um, you want the rock solid part of Siri <laughs> tried and true method, even if it isn't as capable as we might want it to be. So yeah, at least for now. Like in yeah. the future, there'll be more iteration on the language model stuff, and mm-hmm. it might form the foundations of a you know a different way to approach this stuff. But I don't think we're quite there yet because you know just look at look at Bing AI and look at Google Bar and stuff. Like mm-hmm. they still just have a standard search box that most people use, right? The chatbot style thing is like the fun thing you can opt into, but it's not the core of their experience. And so I don't think we're quite there yet to um, replace Siri wholesale with a language model, but it shows a way that this technology can develop and be convincingly human-like and useful. Yeah, and on the Mac, I'm using an app called Barely. It's B-E-A-R, like a bear, L-Y. comes from barely.ai, the website. And you can set up notebooks that include different chats and you can like save the subject and then go to different ones. And so I, and it's, it's quick and it's chat GPT three, or I think if you're a, a paid user of the app, then you get access to version four, um, which can do more things. But, um, I've been keeping that open on, on, on my Mac and it has even a Chrome extension where you can, if you're on Chrome, you can ask it to summarize a website with like a click of a button and things like that. So, um, you, using it is just a. I don't rely on this for anything, but I just see, I, you know, as like a, a tech enthusiast, I just try yeah, out what it can do. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I even did things like, um, like, like release things like, oh, I've want to update my uh, author bio on nine to five Mac, um, and and when you know if, if you're like someone who is on the internet, then there's a pretty good chance they can know things about you by just giving it your name, and you do have to give. Um, the like like Bard for example permission you say I am Zach Hall otherwise it won't give a bio of Zach Hall like summarize a bio of Zach Hall because it's like that's someone else and we don't know if it's true or not um, but as long as you word it as in I am Zach Hall um, write a summary or write a, write a bio for me um, for my author page and I actually ended up like 
copying what it wrote down and then just tweaking it here and there and was like, I would never write this way about me, but it does sound professional and <laughs> like what you'd expect to see, you know, talking about um, of an authoritative voice in the Apple community, like things I just never, would never say about myself. It's like, does, does, you know, fit well for the context. Um, and so I found that very useful. Um, and then I've even been using it to proofread. Um, so for Space Explorer, I, I do some editing for some of the articles there and um, I'll, I'll, you know, run through it. And then just as like a last step, you know, say proofread this and, uh, caught a couple typos where like Branson was written out as Brandon, um, or even this this is clear this is good clear writing, but it, you could improve these three things for this reason. And then I look at him like don't like that one. I like that one, so I'll do that. Um, and just as a thing that's just on my Mac, just ready to like you know because it's it's in the barely app right there, or it's in my browser with Bard. Then it's takes like n- almost no time to just. Give it a give it a second set of eyes and and for those things I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm not paying for anything yet, and so I don't I don't know I, I don't know that I would. But um, and we're so in the saturated market now of everything has to have a sidebar with an AI assistant on the side that you can chat with, um, and that stuff is not very attractive to me because it's just it sounds like a, a solution looking for a problem, but mm-hmm. if you can figure out how to, you know, how to leverage it in a way that actually makes sense with, with what you do, then, then it's, it's, it's cool stuff. Yeah. Right now people are looking for ways to integrate into their products that, um, work around the limitations of the language model, i.e. Yeah. not actually really knowing the truth. Um, but in time, those, those errors will be corrected and they'll be able to train these models to also talk the truth, um, mm-hmm. in most cases. So then they become more dependable as just raw utility things. Yeah, I, some of my Space Explorer colleagues would look, would ask, what is Space Explorer? And it would give a really good summary of what it is, but it would say it was a website founded in 2014, and then it would just jump between different authors and said that they founded it. It's like, yeah. And, and I think with Bard, you can even say, that's okay, save that draft, but give me three more like options. And you look through, and it's like changing the name of who they think found it. It's, you know. Yeah, and it all comes back to the way these models are being trained. Right now, they're trained on, you know, making convincing English or convincing readable text in paragraphs yeah. and words of X length. They're, yeah. they're more incentivized to be able to keep talking than they are to actually just say the truth of the world, right? Right. Um, but I think you can clearly see there's a trajectory where those, you know, language models get intertwined with like factual models of mm-hmm. AI powered, and then they can actually give you the right answers very dependably. What's the task that you ran through in one of these where you were like formatting file names? Oh yeah, so I was just playing about with this because like I I had like a bunch of files that had um that had been acquired off the internet, right? And so they come with stupid file names that you mm-hmm. that are like unpretty and they have a lot of gump in them, and you just want to reformat them with like you know standard titles and season numbers and stuff. So I was just like, uh, can you take can you take away it? So I basically pasted in the list of file names and I said. Um, format these in this way and just gave like one example removing all the junk essentially and it could pull it off and i was like wow that's actually really impressive and so you know it didn't really say many time because then i started to go through and manually change all the file names but yeah you could imagine if you had like some sort of like renamer app that was like built into this api that then you could just like clock them across and they would just like update your actual yeah. file system and it would actually save you time yeah like like in the way that apple branched so many features as a, as a siri feature <laughs> when, yeah, when it's on the voice assistant, that's kind of the the future I anticipate is when you you have these 
specific features that are suddenly possible um, that are powered by one of these language models. And, and, and it's less so like the language model itself is the feature, but it's it's what you how you benefit from it that is, um, you know, what you pay attention to. So that'll be that'll be good to reach that point. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like all the stuff where they're like, Siri does this, this, and this. And it's like, you know, Siri, the thing, isn't really helping you find the um, the address in your email and putting a little calendar invite at the top, but that's yeah. what they brand it under. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by MKE Key, the company that specializes in designing exquisite, diverse, and comfortable iPhone cases. MKKey has been doing this for a while as a top brand of iPhone cases since at least 2015 and they have the plaudits to show for it. They have over 1 million positive customer reviews, Amazon choice recognition and even a climate pledge friendly certification. Of course, they have options for all of the phone models but let's focus on the iPhone 14 Pro Max silicon case for a moment. It has raised bezels and all four corners are built in airbags to prevent the screen and camera from getting dinged and scratched if you drop it. It's MagSafe compatible with all Qi certified MagSafe chargers and car mounts. The premium silicone shell is friendly to the skin and it feels great to the touch with precisely pronounced volume buttons and a cutout for easy access to the mute switch on the side. And it's all manufactured in accordance with environmental standards made with healthy and environmentally friendly materials. All materials have passed the international carbon neutral certification scheme follow the link in the show notes to check out their entire range of cases their diverse and expansive collection means they'll always have something great to pair with your iphone iphone 14 and older models too thanks to mkk for sponsoring the show all right i bought something this week i want to talk briefly about which is the kindle scribe uh Mm. heard about this last year when when it was announced and i guess came out but um it was just I was I was getting my dog's haircut and I had about four hours to kill and um, was 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 you know doing a little bit of work and I saw our former colleague Parker Ortolani write write about the Kindle Scribe on Twitter and and um, was like oh, I forgot that thing existed I wonder if uh, I could I could find one and go look at and um, there were there were none on display around me but they were available to, to buy and um, I, I have been reading. I read books in all kinds of ways. I have physical books that I read. I've got audio books that I love to listen to. Um, I've got uh, Apple books from from the iBook store that that I bought years ago, and I'm going through those. And I've been reading some of those on the iPad Pro um, from 2018 with with the paper like cover over it, so it's it's not you know real glary and everything, and it's feels feels good in the hand. Um, but I've also got a lot of purchases from Kindle, and I was thinking about. You know, e- even with the paper-like cover over the iPad Pro, I don't want to take it out to the beach, and the beach is like a mile from my house this summer, so um, I don't want to do that. And, and I like something that is, even though you can focus in on the iPad and have it just be like, if you open a book, it can go into reading focus automatically for a set period of time, and it's it's less distracting. But um, on the, the pill of just a, an e-reader of some sort, whether it's a Kindle or a Kobo or whatever it is, then those... Um, you know, you're typically less capable. And so um, I thought, well, okay. So I, I, I could get one of those, try it out. This, this, You know, it's I've never had a Kindle e-reader before. And um, I do have a lot of books already. And, and this, the whole thing with the scribe is that it's, it's you know, it's an e-ink display that you can write on and you can annotate and write notes and, and things like that. And so it's like, that's, that's compelling enough. Let me, let me try that out. A uh, little bit pricey, you know, compared to other Kindles, but it's also, I guess, like 
it's as good of a Kindle as you'll get as well. So um, try try that. I went went and bought one of those when I was waiting for my dog haircut to finish and got uh, tried it out. Um, as an e-reader, I think like well, e-ink on its own is just it's so pretty. Like I was trying to compare like, how different is this thing to an iPad Pro, um, and there's there's like a small difference in the pixels per inch, which I guess helps with the you know the text looking sharp. On the the Kindle Paperwhite, it's 300 ppi versus on the um, 11 inch iPad Pro, it's 264. So really close there, but um, little you know at least on paper you can say well the Kindle is a little better at, at displaying text. The, the pen part's interesting because I learned more about it after I bought it than before I bought it, which is a total thing. But um, it's it, it the one I have is I think it's called the Advanced Pen, and then they've got the Standard Pen. So I didn't know I was getting something that wasn't just the Standard thing, but uh, has an eraser and so that, you know compared to the Apple Pencil, that's pretty good. I'm not sure how much they charge for the the pen attachment, whether it's Standard or Advanced. But the one I I bought it, it came with it. Let me tell you, it'd 100% be cheaper than the Apple Pencil. Prices. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. second-gen Apple Pencil was still $99. Yeah, it's got, a, it's got a button. No, the, sorry, the first-gen Apple Pencil was still $99. And the other was $130, yeah. more expensive, yeah. Yeah, $130. So it, the pen's got an eraser on it, and like in the direction, just like how to use the, the eraser. You put it on the screen, and it erases. Like, oh, cool. Um, and it's got a, it's got an advanced button on it that you – or a but, I think it's what the, the advanced one is. It's got a button that you can program to do things, and so – um, you can have it be um, the button is always a highlighter versus um, writing and annotating. And so um, that's pretty cool. Just just to compare that to the Apple Pencil experience with Apple Pencil 2, they've got that double tap gesture where you can change between your current tool and another tool like Eraser. So, you know, it's not hard to look at other stylus type devices and find more ones more capable than the Apple Pencil in terms of ergonomics and, and functionality. Um, before you get to like the detail of how does it work on an iPad and, and all the different features there, but um, so I was like, oh, pretty pretty cool. Um, I didn't know for like five days that it attached magnetically to the side <laughs> of the Kindle, so I, that's good because they sell it. They sell a um, a a, a uh, an Amazon Kindle Scribe cover for it, which uh, attaches to and then it flips back from the top, so it goes up and down, and below is like a little holder for the for the pen accessory. And so I thought it just wouldn't be attachable. And it's like, well, it's Amazon. It's not Apple. So of course it's not, but it is. So that's, that's nice. Um, the, I, I guess I've tried to like set up things for, with Kindle before with maybe even just like the Kindle app. Maybe even I had an year a long time ago and don't recall, but um, what I, what I, when I opened my account and, and saw my, my book library, they were also from around 2018. Uh, issues of instapaper for the day where it was the articles i'd saved to read later in instapaper delivered to the kindle and i was like oh, i do remember seeing that uh using using that and it's pretty nice where throughout the day you you know click like a bookmarklet and it automatically saves that article to instapaper and then you have instapaper automatically send an addition per day to your kindle account as like a pdf and, you, and then you read it that way um so I've reconfigured that to work again. And um, I've, I've been doing that. I was like, instead of using reading list in Safari um, and just hoping that like when I'm away from my Mac, I'll sit back and, and read some articles on my iPad or something. I'm doing it to the Kindle instead. And just the, the appeal of that is like, this is the reading thing, whether it's a book or articles. And I'm, I'm liking that. Um, and then also the, th- the thing has, uh, I was again, as like a new person to modern e-readers, 
it had audiobooks. My my Audible audiobooks were all there available. And I'm like, well, this doesn't have a speakers, but what it does <laughs> is, is it has Bluetooth, so you can pair your AirPods or whatever to, to it um, and play audiobooks that way as well. So all of those things I'm, I'm pretty happy with. And the thing is like, it's very light and very thin, um, it, but but so is the iPad Pro. It, it's just a different feel to it. Um, you know, the the biggest difference, of course, is like the difference in an e-ink display and then a full-on iPad display, LED backlit display. You know, um, but but like even weight-wise, so I just thought this is like way lighter than an iPad, but it's not that much lighter. It's it's um, one point. 96 pounds compared to the iPad Pro 11 inch at 1.03 pounds. So ounces, it's or, or grams, it's 433 grams versus 468 grams. So really close there, but it is a little bit lighter. And then the thickness is pretty much identical, except for the Kindle Scribe has feet, like like a, like a MacBook has. Like when you lay it flat, okay, yeah, yeah. it isn't on the table. Um, so it's got these like little nubs, and so. If you measure it with no feet, it's uh, it, it's five point eight millimeters, and then I think the the iPad would come in at five point nine millimeters at the thickest point. So it's like, and I think the feet are like a millimeter. So it's like a tie there, but it just it does feel thinner though. Um, maybe it's just a design. I don't know, but it's kind of cool having this thing that has. Um, let me check my notes. Twelve um, week battery life for reading half an hour a day, so. Three months of reading is uh, three weeks of writing. So if you're doing net taking, then you get three weeks versus, versus, you know, on on an iPad, you're looking at up to 10 hours, best case scenario for whatever you do. Um, and then it, it, they even have uh, how long it takes to charge the thing from zero to 100. And they give you, they say seven hours, but if you use a USB-C charger that's nine watts or more, it's two and a half hours. So. In terms of like battery life and everything, of course, you're just going to be good at that. And the whole appeal is like, this is really good to use in direct sunlight. And that's what I was doing. I went out for the mm. weekend and um, had lunch and, um, you know, was was out and about and just brought the the Kindle with me and, and uh, you know, zoomed through a book. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. So as, as a device, this is totally as like, you know, go back to before I was even 9 to 5 Mac or anything. And it's like... I just like trying out new tech, <laughs> like geeking out over you know what is the latest stuff. This satisfies that for me. Uh, I think it's too expensive for what it is for now because it is like the first generation of of one of the Kindles that you can write on. There's another. And I heard, I heard there were some limitations. Like if you're in a book, you can't like directly write on the book. Like you can only write like you, next to it in like a separate notes area. Like you can't directly like annotate the book. Do you see sure. what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. that's kind of what you want to do if you've got like a Kindle and a pencil. You just uh-huh. want to like directly underline it, directly circle things or write little notes next to it and zoom in and stuff. Yeah. And I think some of that's, you know, just software limitations and some of that's some um, licensing rights like, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that kind of, that would that would make it really appealing if they could yeah. just let you like freeform scribble on the actual pages of the book. Yeah. And you can search for competitors. I mean, this the Kindle Scribe is the first e-reader in the space that you can write on um, with the ink screen. There's another competitor that's similarly priced, and um, I don't think it looks quite as sharp. But you know, I think the appeal of the other e-readers are, you know, not not as well. You you can you can there's other bookstores than just the Kindle bookstore, and you can bring in, um, you know, you, you can bring in books easier from if you've got them, you know, just just purchased or acquired elsewhere. So, uh, but but uh, as as a not e-reader enthusiast, I just it's kind of like having the Apple experience. You don't want to think about it, and so for me, I was thinking, well, it's 
it's the it, it, it's the Kindle scribe. Give it a shot. Uh, enjoying it. Uh, the the one side of it is thicker than the other side. I think that's just kind of a Kindle thing anyway. But um, it's the side I guess you hold, and the pencils attach to the other side. So that's that's all well and good. Um, I'm left-handed. I do a lot of things right-handed, but I'm I'm left-handed when I'm writing. I do a few things that are left-handed. Guitar is not one of them. Guitar is right-handed because you've got to buy a whole other guitar for left-handed, and I just never did that. So, um, but this thing, you know, it, like an iPad, you can rotate it, and so I, I've ended up using it in my right hand, and then the pencils on the other side, on the left side, so I can pick it up and use it, or pen, or whatever you call it. But then on the back side is it, it's kind of nice in the back. There's no camera. There's no like camera bump. It lays flat. Um, you know, it's not this big piece of glass you're afraid to break, or someone will steal. Uh, it, 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 but it's got the Amazon like curved smile logo, which uh, like the Easter egg there is when the Amazon smile logo is facing the correct direction, then then like the package is in the correct orientation. So you don't want to. It's like this side up, and that's where the arrow goes to. Well, that's the logo as well. But if I'm using it left-handed mode, then it's upside down. And so as I'm reading the back of this thing, it's a it's a frowny face. So just kind of find that as like oh, huh, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but. Yeah, overall cool, cool piece of new technology that I'm that I'm having fun playing with, and uh, you know, as expensive as it is, it's like this this will be because it's like a few hundred dollars. This will be the the thing I I you know use <laughs> keep around for a while to make it worth its, its price. But I am looking very much I'm looking forward to going um, and having like after work evenings out on the beach or, or you know middle middle of the day on the weekend and um, you know just detaching and <laughs> and having this thing so. Yeah, because okay. there is a really nice quality to reading on e-ink screens versus yep. LCD. Yeah, that's right. Backlit stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want to talk about something else too that came to mind recently, which is the, the the idea of old Mac habits. And I think you and I came to the Mac around the same time. Uh, and I was just thinking, people who are newer to the Mac or if they come from the iPad to the Mac now, there's so many things that I turn off or change or, or you know think are useless on the Mac, but... That if you use it as default and you're used to it, then that's your Mac experience. Um, that that I, I was curious what 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 we have in common, what we have different there. But for me, it's things like on the dock. I cannot have the dock have those recent apps that came. Yeah, from. recent apps are no no go. That's yeah. the most annoying thing ever. Yeah, turn those things off. Um, I like on the 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 trackpad's always just too slow anyway, so I change the tracking speed. But they've yeah, I have tracking speed on like a hundred percent. Yeah. They, they and part of this comes from like my first time with owning a Mac was Leopard, then Snow Leopard, and then Lion and, and Mountain Lion, and like those were the first four releases that were like, okay, this is my first shovel years of owning a Mac um, and using one, and so like those defaults are what I'm used to, and so, so around that time they had the um, three finger drag option for the trackpad where you could lay three fingers down over top of a window and then move it around or same thing with a file that's been buried in accessibility for years now but that's something i always turn back on because it's yeah why do they bury that i don't get that i have that turned on as well i think it's really useful <laughs> i think we have a lot in common because we came to the mecca at the same time you know yeah but... you were slightly newer than me i was snow leopard was uh, my first i actually because i had the imac 2010 and it came with snow leopard with a free upgrade to line when line came out the next year basically yeah so i'm I, that's my like first one i didn't have leopard yeah. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the stuff like the the three finger drag though, I don't understand why that's accessibility only because like it makes sense for a normal person. Like yeah. it's so much nicer just be able to 
Like, if you've got that massive trackpad, rather than having to click down and drag a window, you just put three fingers down and move it around, so... Yeah. Do you use, uh, do you use Launchpad at all? Um, um, not really. Not really, yeah. No. I, yeah, I, I think that's something that if you're, like, a classic Mac user, like, you know, way earlier than Lion, then it never made any sense. It's just the iPad launcher on the Mac, because it was the Mac to the Mac release. That was, like, the marketing for, for OS X Lion. Um, and- I, I would use it more if it, if you could put the icons on the desktop <laughs> rather than it having to be an overlay. Because, like, if you just had, like, most, like, say, half of the desktop just be app icons and the other half had, like, you know, the stuff you drag there, like the, the files yeah, and folders, yeah. that'd be a nice compromise. The fact that you always... I never remember to, like, do the gesture to make it appear. If mm-hmm. it was just always on the home screen, I'd probably use it more. You used to have a really good icon, which was in this Q-Morphic era, and it, and it came out with a little rocket. Yeah, it was it was a little rocket like engraved into like a silver disc, and then it had like texture to it, and then it got simplified down in the Mavericks era, and then it got replaced with like the goofy thing that it is now, which is like squares inside of a square. But uh, anyway, I, I I do use a Launchpad. I think also the name's cool. <laughs> the name is cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's always the first screen for me is always like these are the built-in apps. This is Apple's apps, and the next screen is like I alphabetize those, and it's all the apps I install. But I find that doing the gesture and like swiping over, like if you type in Launchpad, you just like you just type in the keyboard without doing any other keyboard shortcuts, and you can type in like SA, and it'll narrow down to Safari, for example, and then you return and it launches it. Okay, um, I've got a revolutionary idea for you. <laughs> you could just use. Um, spotlight i know i know yeah i don't do the typing thing that often though and spotlight gets so messy like it'll bring in so many other things it's not very good at math either and i know people that that, like older people that didn't have spotlight built in in the first place then they use like quicksilver or Or alfred is popular alfred uh, launch bar i think is a thing things that i've never used because the max has always had what i consider to be this feature so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I basically launch all my, all my apps I launch are either in the dock permanently or I just uh, spotlight them. Yeah. But I will say in recent weeks, I've got a bug where like you open Spotlight, you type a letter, and then it just like hangs for like three seconds before it actually is ready to do anything in Spotlight, yeah. which kind of sucks. Uh, but in the old, you know, go back a, a month or so, you could just type immediately, press enter, and it'd launch an app. So. Yeah. What about... Uh... Other habits. One thing yeah. that I didn't realize that um, isn't a default is, you know, so the spaces in Mission Control at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so by default, they actually order by recently used. <laughs> yeah. But which I guess if you think of it in terms of like the iPad or the iPhone, you know, mm-hmm. you go to the multitasking switch on there and it's ordered by recently used. But I guess for the longest time, I think it used to be the old default. The spaces are just spaces. They're fixed in place. You can remove them. You can add them. You can drag them around manually, but they don't jump to the front depending on usage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I use it with that turned off. But if you go into the settings, it's defaulted on to sort by recently used up there. Yeah. And I actually had a friend who got a Mac recently and was like, I hate how these things are moving around on me. Why can't they just stay in place? And I'm like, I swear it works like that. And it turns yeah. out that's actually a setting to control it. And then I guess related to the spaces stuff is uh, full screen apps in general, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I don't use the full screen mode really. The only thing I might use it for is like if I'm watching a video, I'll put it full screen because you know if, if I only want to watch a video, then mm-hmm. get rid of all the other Chrome. But maybe sometimes I put photos into full screen mode and just have it as a space on the side. But otherwise, I use Windows. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, 
not windows but windows yeah window <laughs> um, window yeah windowing layout but you look at other people they're much more accustomed to the full screen button like you press screen and it, yeah. it launches in full screen i don't and, really press the full screen button with the option key hold down which does the old way of the you know the, it like zoom. the old yeah zoom where it just like makes it taller um i don't do that either i just kind of drag with the you know the window at the corner yeah. uh but full screen mode i don't like um besmirch it as a bad idea i just never it's just never got into my habits you know yeah and that is a lion feature as well which is kind of wild like there's so many things that are just part of the mac for the last been 10 years but um that that weren't there before you know the the seven eight versions before that or even if you look at um mac versions before mac os 10 they weren't there but um and that's very much like a it's an ipad thing but it's also you know on windows you've got the maximize like you know button that you click and it goes that's what zoom was trying to be or tries to be although on windows i think it's always your full screen and then on zoom on the mac it's like it could make it as tall as it can be or you know it might not be the whole screen. When, when yeah, if, if you're in like pages, mm-hmm. then it will size to the aspect ratio of a single page. But because it scrolls, it then makes it full height. But it yeah. doesn't make it full width unless right. it feels like it needs to. Yeah. But then full screen is the whole screen, even if it's a lot of dead space on either side. So I, I Photos is also like my most common full screen app as well because it's like what it makes it as most... It's like a, it's like a gallery, you know. You, you, your photos are as big as they can be. You can see as many as, as you can, and it's it's typically not something where I'm working in other apps at the same time as as well. If I'm just like organizing my photos or something or editing them, but I occasionally I do create a split screen where it's one app next to another app. If it's like I've got a lot going on on my desktop and I want to do this specific task for this short period of time and get done as fast as possible. But more common than doing split screen, which is like you know full screen side by side, it's it's hold the option key and then say um, place the or tile this to the right side or move this to the right side. I think I guess tile is full screen, but move is not. And then you split your your non full screen experience into two apps, um, and, and which that is way, a relatively new feature. Yeah, yeah, and that way you don't lose things like, um, well, you're is. I use hot corners, so that's something that's changed over the years too. Is like by default now, I think bottom right hot corner is to open up a quick note or create a quick note. Oh no! Yeah, what a terrible, <laughs> terrible state of affairs. Lives. Yes, and because um, quick note on the Mac is yeah. like terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it just it's opens a notes window. Yeah, yeah. At least on the iPad, it has a point because it's like a you know a windowing system miniaturized. Yeah, yeah. And on the iPad, they do like pull and swipe in from a corner and you either screenshot or make a quick note, you know. <laughs> on, on the Mac, it's bottom right uh, hot corner is to create a quick note. Um, but that's always been my show desktop. So it makes all your windows on your desktop zoom out of the way so you can work with your your files on your desktop easily. Um, yeah, I use the four-finger gesture for that, you know, the spread. Yeah, I, I do that too. But I also use a mouse a lot of times. Like I've got my ball mouse. Mm. And in that case, I've got the trackpad as well next to my keyboard, but I'm just you know not using as many devices yeah the only hot corner i have set up is bottom left sleeps d- does display sleep so not like laptop sleep it just turns the screens off yeah which... An- another you mentioned in the thing with um switching apps and, and spaces and, and doing that by order um or, or, or rearrange spaces based on the most recently used 
the a default that's turned off and like that's how expose worked when it was like a, a grid you know four by four and you had your desktop on the you know your default desktop and then you had one to the right of it one below it and one diagonal to it and like it was based on which one you were in is which one you would go to um and that the whole thing was called expose but they've also got um app expose which is a gesture of like swipe down with three or four fingers and then it'll give you kind of the, the mission control view of just the windows in that app that you're using. So if you're in um, you know, notes and you've got like four different notes up or, or text documents and you've got like four text files up, then you'd swipe down and it would show you just those versus swiping up to use uh, mission control and seeing like those four plus everything else. And they turn that gesture off by default. And I don't know why, because it's good. Maybe it's just to limit like accidental input or something but that's one that i consider essential that's that's off is group windows by application in mission control on or off by default do you know i i don't know because i i've toggled it on for the year over the years it's on for me right now though yeah i use it on which i find a lot more sensible so when you go into mission control all your safari windows group together and then you can spread you can do like a a gesture spread on the safari windows if you want to separate and you can pinch in you can press space bar and preview and stuff Mm -hmm. but i I might have an inkling. It might actually default off, and then you just have every window separately on the screen. Yeah, the, the, it's, it's when every window is like a white rectangle of some kind, uh, when there's no app icon below it, and they don't group that way either, then they all look the same to me. So I've got it turned on for that reason. Yeah, the group windows application, I'd highly recommend if that's not on by yeah. default for you. Yeah. Uh, do, you, <laughs> do you change the like keyboard settings where it, it's the iOS-style keyboard settings where for typing where it's um, autocorrect and auto capitalize and all those things Ooh, that's a good, i think i have most of them on i could be wrong it's hard to remember actually yeah <laughs> some of these things have just become like rote memory you know like, yeah i don't <laughs> want to type because it'll be really loud but uh that'd be mm-hmm. the way to find out yeah yeah well and there's going to be a whole new generation of mac users now who they come for the first time and like um you know uh, what is it? stage manager is a thing and i was thinking about this too Stage Manager seems like it should probably, if it's adopted well enough and people like it, you know, if enough people like it, that it's um, another option to use versus, um, you know, spaces and mission control, even though you can use mission control and stage manager together. Um, if it's another way of thinking about that, multiple desktops, all that, all the w- different ways you can work on the Mac with multitasking, then it probably deserves a key on the keyboard on the MacBook and, and Apple keyboards because they change it all the time. And, um, I think they used to have one for mission control and they've changed that one is currently they have one for do not disturb mode, which I don't think that's key worthy, but my, my uh, 2021 MacBook pro has a, as a, a, a function key for mission control. Okay. Okay. Maybe it's launch pad mm-hmm. that went away there. Which yes. Your launch pad used to be one. Yeah. And that's not yeah. there anymore. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So no launch pad, um, dictation, and search are both keys now, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then like I mentioned, I think Do Not Disturb came about in like 2018 or so with that that MacBook Air, and, and so they they changed a lot, and, and they changed and with new MacBooks and with new versions of keyboards for the desktop. But um, but it, it seems like if if Stage Manager is used enough, then that's a mode that I like I'm I'm using it on my Mac as like a, I'm not doing work and I want to focus in on like just one thing and I don't want to close all my windows and I don't want to make a new space or go full screen. I just want to 
have the single window I'm using and everything else is like click a button. It all comes back if I wanted to. I'm using it that way. It's like the weekend Mac mode where I'm not actually like multitasking a whole bunch, but I still want to use my Mac. Whereas on the iPad, it's like the opposite. It's like if you actually want to do multitasking on, on the iPad, then that's your, your way in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, as a control center button click, it seems like oh, that's a key I would use. And I'm sure you can can map it if you wanted to. Uh, but I feel like as as they design the keyboard and they change those function keys out, then that's one of the things that would would, would end up there. Um, and for some people, it would be just like you know, we've always had Stage Manager on the Mac, and well, you know, it's something that you just use here and there. So, uh, but I'm I'm curious though, you know, it, it, the, I I just hear about um, I hear from older Mac users who have like a whole different set of these are the defaults that I grew up on, and I do the same thing with iOS. Like every year, iOS will have new features, and I, I, I think I'm like averse to having just everything piles up over and over and there's all these different things that are further from the default way that I used to use it and it worked fine for me. And so I've got a pretty good habit of like, well, you could do this, but I don't want to do that. So I'll just revert back to the other way. And it's, you know, just kind of realized that it's the habit. Um, music's the same way. Like your favorite music when you were younger is like your favorite music your whole life. But it's based on when you grew up and what you what you ended up with, you know. So uh, that same thing's applying to me, at least for the Mac and, and probably for the iPhone as well and other things of what you came up it's on. It's funny what you get the version yeah, great into, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by ZocDoc. We've all been there feeling unwell and randomly Googling online trying to find a cause for some symptoms that we've been having. You end up stumbling down a rabbit hole of quote-unquote advice from so-called experts. Well, there's a better way to get the answers you want from trusted professionals, not random people on the internet, and that's ZocDoc. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour to get the app and sign up for free. You can book an appointment with a qualified doctor with ease. Find the right doctor in your neighborhood that meets your needs, takes your insurance, and fits in with your schedule. Feel confident by reading the verified patient reviews. Then you book an appointment in just a few taps and start feeling better faster using the free app that millions of users are relying on. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash, slash happy hour. Spelled Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. All right, some news items of the week. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo has uh, some analysis on iPhone 15 USB-C. What is that? Yeah, so if you remember a few, probably about a month or two months ago now, there was that rumor that the USB-C port on the iPhone 15 will have an MFI program attached to it, which would... Um, restrict what you can plug into it and then i kind of said on the show that it probably means that you'll get like they're not going to make you have to buy certain cables for it to work at all but probably there'll be some certification process that will give you extra features maybe relating to like charging speeds or something and basically um that that always made sense to me because i mean they don't lock down the USB-C port on the ipad that much you can plug into whatever you want um and it seems like on the iphone uh, that's probably how it's going to be. Like, you can plug in anything, but if you want the fastest charging speeds, uh, then you'll need MFI certified cables from Apple or third parties. Um, and that is basically backed up by, you know, very respected analyst Ming Chi Kuo, who said that he believes um, that the USB C port will enable faster charging speeds for the iPhone 15, but only with certified cables. 
Uh, he also said that Apple is ramping up production of the 20-watt USB-C adapter because they believe when there are USB-C iPhones in the world, demand for the USB-C chargers will go way up, which is really a surprise. But yeah, there, there'll be a bit of a scandal in September when there'll be like, you know, we'll be able to have the headlines of the iPhone 15 USB-C port is locked down or whatever. Uh, but I don't think this is too out of the ordinary. It's kind of the same deal with what they do with wireless charging, where they support the Qi standard, but if you want the fastest um, charging speeds, then you have to use MagSafe. Uh, and to be honest, the, the fastest charging speed, like 15 watt, 10 watt charging that you can get through the iPhone um, by, by, by charging through a cable today is fast enough in most cases. So it's not like a huge deal if you have to find an MFI cable if you want really, really fast charging speeds. Um, I know some Android phones have like boost charging which goes at like 50 100 watt to give you like an hour charge um i don't know what that does to the battery longevity but they do exist so maybe apple will do something like that uh because base you know if you're just charging nightly a standard USB-C charge is perfectly fine anyway and then ios 16.4 we've got the release candidate version it's not out yet as of record but the release candidate version which is probably what will come out uh, when it's out of beta um, yeah probably next week monday yeah, or something yeah, yeah. It, it's it's uh it, that that came out this week for for the beta version and with it comes release notes so that tells us uh, more about it the, the release than we already knew about it so yeah some, some new rundown. features here that we weren't aware of before um so just a reminder 6.4 is the release that includes the the new set of emojis so you get 21 new emoji um it includes all those web app changes so you know notifications mm-hmm. for web apps added to the home screen other updates uh to web apps in terms of apis they can use to make them more competitive with native apps um, but in terms of what's new that we've discovered this week, thanks to the release notes uh, on iOS and iPadOS, um, duplicate detection photos app now works with the shared photo library. So if you're using iCloud shared photo library, um, du- duplicate detection now works in that library too, which is nice because especially if you're migrating um, from the old system to the new system, you might have multiple users that have already copied around photos left, right and center. And so when they want to add them to the shared photo library, uh, it becomes a bit of a mess because then you're bringing across the duplicates again but if you have a duplicate detection available you can easily filter out the duplicates and i haven't migrated to the shared photo library yet um but standard photo library with duplicate detection i found it works really well like i had like a thousand found duplicates and they're always perfect matches or close to perfect matches so and it's a really nice ui you can just merge them together delete the one that's worse um so duplicate detection in photos is a really nice feature and it makes sense that now it's supported for iCloud family shared photo libraries as well um voice isolation for cellular calls is new this was a feature that was available previously for facetime calls Mm -hmm. um, but now it's available for standard mobile phone calls um it's basically one of those like you know quote ai features or machine learning features that focus on your voice it dulls out background noise while you're having a conversation so you can hear them more clearly and they can hear you more clearly um which is a nice little addition uh in 16.4 but it has more um gusto i guess because there's been an ongoing controversy that the iphone 13 was the first one to do this i believe and the iphone 14 continued it where they don't have a noise cancelling microphone anymore so if you go on the tech specs like iphone 13 iphone 14 do not report noise cancellation as a feature on the tech specs page even though older older iphones had it which and people have even done like cyber styles on youtube where if you're talking on the phone to someone it's less clear um, like the other person can't hear you as clearly just because it doesn't have this secondary noise cancellation um, running. This is apparently all due to a big patent lawsuit that's going on between Apple and some you know company that supposedly has rights over patents over noise cancellation. So 
for whatever reason, Apple didn't settle. They just removed the feature from their phones. Mm-hmm. And I guess I guess it worked because not many, not enough people have complained for it to be a big stink. But it's definitely bubbled up on Reddit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And maybe noise voice isolation is enough of a mitigation that they don't need to bring back uh, the noise cancellation thing. So they can just let the pattern troll die out. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to test this, obviously, to see what it's like. But I just thought that was a funny little highlight because of this whole noise cancellation thing that's that's been ongoing. Yeah, it feels like it was iPhone 5 that was first like, your calls are better because we need this. Yeah. <laughs> with, with the hardware microphone. <laughs> and then ago. patents come along and scupper it all up. Yep. Um, shocker, 16 uh-huh. before has more crash detection optimizations. Yeah, every release. <laughs> every release, it just says crash detection optimizations for iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Pro. Be with uh, who knows what they're changing, but we keep still having the reports of various emergency services uh, def- centers getting errant um, phone calls from iPhones saying that their owners have been in a crash when really they're just on a roller coaster or on a ski slope or something. Um, but who knows if yeah. we're um, actually getting there to something better, and you know? Could also be the opposite. It could be in situations where there's an actual crash and it, and it didn't trigger, but they're improving it for that as well. Those stories you don't hear about, you know, you wouldn't. But Yeah, yeah that's the thing. You don't hear about the stories that don't meet that criteria <laughs> right right yeah yeah and every time they release a software update with quote-unquote optimizations you have to wait a few months for that update to actually be installed on the phones because no one updates quickly <laughs> yeah because no one updates fast anymore um oh here was a nice little juicy thing in the code for iOS 6.4 there's a reference to new beats headphones beats studio buds plus an update to the beat studio buds the new part um, is the plus by the way yeah what's new is the plus unclear what feature will be Included with the extra plus, maybe better noise cancellation to match AirPods Pro 2, possibly. Yeah, this, these are the headphones that don't use Apple's chip and the, mm. so that they have fast pairing with the Android phones. Um, and that still seems to be the case. It seems to be that the, the new thing here will be that noise cancellation is better and transparency is better. And that's all you should expect. Still, yeah, they're, they're, not and they, they support, they'll support um, Hello Siri activation and mm-hmm. or Mac device switching and stuff, but as well as the android support that you know and love they'll also have media controls physically on the earbuds for play pause and you can press and hold to switch between noise cancelling modes similar to the way airpods pro used to work nice yeah so that's a nice little thing i think i think the um, beat studio buds have been pretty successful for them i i loved mine before i lost them yeah (laughs) and they're a decent price they're only like 150 or whatever and they don't have big stems so if you like you know more subtle design they're kind of better than airpods pro in a few different ways and then on iPadOS 6.4, you can now get um, an incredible feature. You can get tilt support for the Apple Pencil whilst you're in hover mode. So obviously, for the longest time, the Apple Pencil has been able to detect tilt and pressure while it's touching the screen. Um, and then with the iPad Pro update at the beginning of the year, they added Apple Pencil hover, which is basically the way the screen can detect the Apple Pencil a few inches above the screen so you can kind of preview the brush strokes that you're about to make without actually committing and touching the screen well now that hot apple pencil hover mode also works with the tilt angle so if you tilt the pencil while it's in midair the brush the brush strokes will also be tilt, tilted that's why my little thing yeah yeah i mean that's that <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna buy the new apple pro but now that's there we're, we're jumping right on it um and then finally this is a long time coming too on watch os if you have a wake-up alarm set it will no longer be muted 
by the cover to mute gesture. What's the cover to mute gesture, you might ask? It's the thing where the Apple Watch detects if you cover the screen with your hand, i.e. your palm. So if you get a notification or a timer or something and it goes off and you really want to quickly mute it, in day-to-day life, you just slap your hand over the top of the watch and it silences it, which is actually really nice. Mm -hmm. But that um, backfires when you're using your watch to go to sleep because if you've got it under the covers or something, the pillow can be detected as covering the watch's screen, which then means the alarm wouldn't go off which then uh, meant people would oversleep, um, which is kind of a silly thing. But they finally fixed it, so now the wake-up alarms are not affected by the cover yeah. gesture. Yeah, so you'd still vibrate, but if you were um, mostly woken up by the sound, then you'd miss out on that. I remember in 2016 when we were, we were doing this podcast and we were both discussing, like, do you, you ever just have, like, a phantom tap on your watch and then all of a sudden, like, you don't get alerts anymore? And then we, we, we learned kind of together that it's that gesture, cover the face up if if it's not muted, you know, to mute a gesture, or mute, mute an alert, and then it goes into mute mode from then on until you change it back. So long uh, in between, between those two things. <laughs> so yeah, that's 16.4, probably launching early next week. And then I guess we'll have one more beta. Yeah, I, I would also mention that this, this is uh, the first iOS release that includes the feature ability to um, for... for local health authorities to sunset exposure notifications. So if a, mm. if a, if a, 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 re, a state or country or region supports the feature, not all do, not all did, they'll now have the, the, the promised ability to say, even though this is still in the iPhone, now we want to turn this off. We're not act- actively using this anymore. Um, so you'll see states, countries, regions that used to have support, uh, once this is out, slowly draw back from that and i guess eventually maybe the, the feature just won't even be exposed but um or maybe they always leave it there it's just, it just depends on who's supporting it or not you'll just see fewer people support it but uh, yeah. i do wonder if it will how long it will be on the front screen of settings yeah yeah you go in the settings app and in that mm-hmm. third section on the main page you know it's face id emergency sos exposure notifications yeah like, you know i have nothing against the exposure notification feature but it clearly is not used too much anymore. I've never um, lived in a place that supports them, so <laughs> never benefited in that and, regard. And there were huge political debacles about it in the UK. Like even sure. to this day, people still say that you know it cost billions of dollars to support the feature, and did it really have any impact or whatever? And people go back and forth about it. But mm-hmm. that's kind of beside the point. The reality is nowadays, obviously, COVID's still around, but um, the whole exposure notification system isn't really used anywhere. I think it's fair to say. So mm. I mean, at some point, you've got to imagine it's no longer worthy of a front page spot in the settings app yep and i think it means we'll see an update to ios 12 because they supported that far back oh yeah it did yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so mm. if this comes out next week then <laughs> new ios 12 next week as well yeah and in in the we didn't hundred because of the way that these betas and release candidates come out you don't always see um release notes for the home pod although sometimes we do uh, one thing I've been waiting for is that promised feature where it detects um, fire alarms and smoke alarms and yep, yep. Will relay notification. I haven't seen anything that says that's actually in 16.4. So I guess that's what the 16.5 betas are going to be because sure. um, we're expecting that there'll be one more beta basically before iOS 17 is announced in June. Now there so, is going to be, I've been running the beta versions, um, suited to display. <laughs> Oh, Studio display update. <laughs> 16.4, yeah. There's there's that. And I'm looking forward to those release notes. I think it just says optimizations. It just says bug fixes. Yeah. So, classic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's 16.4. Some decent stuff in there. For yeah, yeah. Getting to the end of the 16 cycle, but they've still got a few little features too. 
And aren't we coming up on the release of Apple Classic, Apple Music Classical? Twenty mm-hmm. eighth, yeah. I believe. So yeah, next, next week's show, next week. I guess we'll have hands on with Apple Music Classical. Okay. The incredible feature for classical music. Finally, this week we are sponsored by Wild Grain. There's nothing quite like the smell of fresh baked bread coming out of the oven. It's just divine, but it's such a hassle to actually do. Well, what if I told you you can get that delicious experience and enjoy all of those tasty flavours, but with none of the time and work involved? Wildgrain is the answer. Sign up at wildgrain.com slash happy hour. Wildgrain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box, delivering sourdough breads, fresh pastas and artisanal pastries to your door. Unlike what you get in the supermarket, Wildgrain breads use a slow fermentation process that's easier on your belly, lower in sugar and rich in nutrients and antioxidants. Every item in your box bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, and you'll never get bored. They are continuously adding new, seasonal, and limited-time special items to try. Now, Zach, I know you got to try out a wild grain box, right? Yes, and I've been thinking, you know, one of the best parts about going out to dinner is the bread. <laughs> and having, uh, you know, breads, pastas, croissants prepared for you. And the thing that Wild Grain has done for me is it brings that going out experience to your home kitchen, and um, you don't have to, you know, know how to shop for these these things in the, in, in the shopping market. You just um, rely on Wild Grain, and they they send you a variety of breads from um, pastas and um, you know standard croissants, chocolate croissants, um, you know loaves of bread, and it, it's more than you could eat in a day. And uh, you, you can simply store it in your freezer and have it um, stored until you're ready to use it. And the, the results are great. I, I love all of these categories. And so this is a terrific service if you're like me and you really appreciate um, pastas and, and breads and, and things like that. So all you have to do is sign up at wildgrain.com slash happy hour and choose which type of box is for you. And for every new member, Wildgrain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank so you can eat good and do good at the same time. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash happy hour to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash happy hour. One more time, that's wildgrain.com slash happy hour, or you can use promo code happy hour at checkout. Thanks to Wildgrain for sponsoring the show. Apple TV Plus news for the week. Friday Night Baseball will no longer be free on uh, the TV app. Unless you're already an Apple TV Plus subscriber, then there's no change. Correct, yeah, because last year they introduced it as an Apple TV Plus thing, but for a limited time, quote-unquote, it was free Mm -hmm. for anyone, so you just had to go in the app to watch the games um but this year they're getting rid of that because uh, the limited time thing i think was originally meant to be for the first half of the season yeah but then they had some kind of backlash and some complaints so they just let it run for the entire first season while they kind of ironed out the kinks uh but 2023 friday night baseball is apple tv plus exclusive um so you have to have the subscription if you want to watch the games i'm sure people will be annoyed about that because like we had that big thing last year with the aaron judge situation with the yankees yeah. and Everyone was mad about that being Apple TV app exclusive. If that happens again this year, it would be subscription exclusive. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's mostly the same deal as last year in terms of what they're offering. You know, two games a week, um, national games, no blackouts. But they do have one nice little uh, feature edition. Uh, So there was some, uh, you know, somewhat reasonable criticism that people, especially dedicated baseball fans, didn't like the commentary 
um, kind of setup that Apple had. So they it's run by and produced by a mobile ne- network. But obviously, Apple has some influence over what the production looks like and stuff. And so it's last year, yeah, last year they had like three hosts and they would kind of target a more, I think, more general audience rather than going super deep on stats and stuff. And yeah. there was a lot of backlash to that. I'm not clear whether they're going to continue that kind of theme this year, or whether they're going to you know, aim it more at the, at the baseball fan. I know they've had some talent changes, so some of the people that were hosting last year are no longer doing it, and they've got some new people in. Um, I'm not sure what the tone of the broadcast will be yet. I don't think they've really said. Um, but one change they have made is that now viewers will be able to choose, instead of the commentary provided by MLB Network, they'll be able to choose to listen to the local radio stream for either the home or away team um, while they're watching the Friday Night Baseball video. And this yeah. is similar to the feature they offer for MLS. Um, MLS right now only lets you listen to the home team's audio for their games, for the Major League Soccer season pass stuff. Um, but the MLB Friday Night Baseball will be home or away team audio streams. And at least in the case of MLS, they sync up the radio so it's directly in line with the video because obviously like streaming video has like a 20-second lag compared to real time. Mm-hmm. So on MLS streams, they sync it up, and I presume they're doing the same again for Friday Night Baseball, where you'll be able to listen to the radio um, with synchronized video of what's actually happening. Do you think away team radio, there's a broadcast for the away teams if they're not playing locally? For MLS, do you think there's like, the fan base is so strong that they they do broadcast the games when they're not? I guess they, someone must be doing it on the radio commentary, right? Maybe maybe it varies by team. I don't know. Possible they just don't do away. Games. The press release says home and away commentary, so yeah, yeah, maybe it's just not every team has it, but yeah, I guess I guess most games have at least somebody commentating. I mean, them, I would right? expect it for baseball, but I I don't know for soccer, and so I'm curious if that's the difference there. Yeah, I I, I have seen complaints on. I'd say this, so yeah, yeah. for for the baseball stuff, it's confirmed. I think for the MLS, they're going to try and add away team audio to the streams for next year so starting in the 2024 season oh, okay. um but i have seen complaints on my tweet deck column of people saying that i want the away team's audio not the home team's audio so okay. i guess some people are doing radio broadcast somewhere yeah all right maybe for the bigger teams only i'm not sure mm-hmm. you know unfortunately as apple goes more and more to sports uh, my lack of knowledge <laughs> of sports doesn't help uh, <laughs> well. speaking of sports apple is again rumored to be in the running for English Premier League, right? So that's football or what you call soccer. Basically, the game that um, the team that uh, the league that Ted Lasso, AFC Richmond play in, uh, the Premier League. Uh, this was reported in January, first by the Daily Mail, which is like a tabloid newspaper. But this time around, this week, it's been reported again by Bloomberg, which is, you know, more respected. And if Bloomberg's reporting it, there, there must be something serious going on. Okay. Um, so this would be for Premier League. Uh, Probably not like an MLS deal where it's like all inclusive. It would be more like throwing out baseball where they get a, a small slice of Premier League games, um, which kind of reflects a similar deal that already exists with Amazon over here in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I believe Premier League rights expire at the end of next season. So this would start from like 2025 if it comes to fruition. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of Amazon, um, with the Friday Night Baseball uh, games, they announced specifically for this season that um, DirecTV for Business, which supplies sports to like sports bars and restaurants, that, that that's the partner for Friday Night Baseball games. And I don't know if that's different from last year. I just saw it in the press release and thought that was um, may, maybe a standout thing for, compared to last year. Yeah, but, I don't think I don't think Friday Night Baseball was on DirecTV Business last year. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so it's possible you could go out to a restaurant or a sports bar 
and see Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV on the television by by way of DirecTV for Business, which is what they you know is most commonly relied on. Which is what which is what Amazon use for mm-hmm. um, Thursday Night Football and the Thursday Night Football, yeah, yeah. and it's what um, Red, uh, sun, sun, uh, Sunday Ticket. Is, it uses as well whenever yeah and mls season pass like, is also on there for direct tv business like, as well even though direct tv didn't renew sunday ticket and it goes to google for youtube tv direct tv for business is still the holder for the sports bars and restaurants so yeah nice and then also in tv plus deals land uh bloomberg also reported this week that apple is continuing to expand its ambitions in terms of original films um, they are saying that Apple is ramping up spending, aiming to spend about a billion dollars annually on producing films for Apple TV+. Plus. But the big difference now is that these films will also be targeting wide theatrical releases. So up to now, Apple's film slate um, has been, I'd say, not on the most... Um, I, I wouldn't say is as good as their TV slate, let's put it that way, uh, in terms of quality, in terms of, oh, I've watched that film and I really liked it, and also just in terms of quantity. Because they've released very, you know, still sparingly few films. Like TV shows now, they're releasing, you know, two or three new ones a month. Films, it's like, you get about five or six a year, which isn't quite the pace that I really think they should be at. But obviously, they uh, they did really well when they won Best Picture for Coda last year. Um, but in general, I'd say the film slate is weak in the TV side. Uh, this might be set to change as they are investing more in it. They're looking for bigger blockbuster titles that will be able to debut widely first in theatres before ending up on the streaming service later so all the films that have come out on Apple TV Plus so far many of them have limited theatrical runs because that just gets them eligibility for the awards so you have to be in like you know 400 theaters for two weeks or something i saw the banker um, in theaters yeah you saw the banker in theaters yeah exactly and coda was in theaters for a couple of weeks but it only and made like two the, million dollars um, or something because it's the tom scale. hanks uh ship movie was going to be greyhound theaters, right yeah, yeah. But, but it came to Apple TV because the theaters were closed, right? Yeah, yeah that was pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, most Apple TV Plus movies like Tetris is coming out at the end of March. I'm excited for that. That will be in theaters in places and limited amounts, but it's nowhere near the scale of like you know a, like Top Gun Maverick or even something like Everything Everywhere All at Once in terms of theatrical distribution. The idea is going forward, Apple is going to be pushing their films. Uh, they're trying to find part movie studio partners that will do the the theatrical distribution for them. Uh, give it on, you know give it wide theatrical release for a month or two, and then it ends up on Apple TV Plus afterwards. Uh, this has two roles. One, it helps Apple recoup some of the production cost of spending on these you know, $100 million, $200 million films. They can, if, the, if the films do well in the box office, then they'll make some money back. And also, it just acts as like free marketing almost, right? Like, if you, how do you want to get Apple's service more popular? Because if you put the film straight on the streaming service... Uh, people might not know about them to watch them. So if you can get them in theatres first, it builds buzz, it builds marketing, it builds awareness. And then I think the idea is when it ends up on streaming, it will then have an even more um, impressive debut and people will flock to the service to actually watch it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, it is true that the traditional um, movie studios are struggling at the moment. Um, But that's because that's their main core business, right? Like, if they release film, if they release a film that's cost them $50 million and they spend $50 million on marketing it for theatrical and then it underperforms, that's a big loss relative to their overall balance sheet. But for like Apple, they were going to you know, make most of these movies anyway to go to streaming. Doing the theatrical part is only a bit more expense and it has a, a lot of potential upside because if the films you know, bomb at the box office, it's no real skin off their back. They, you know, they paid for it anyway. They don't need the money. It'll end up on streaming regardless. So it's kind of 
win-win. Um, and some of their films have a real shot at doing well theatrically, like uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. That's going to have, um, you know, that's the Martin Scorsese film coming out this year with Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Like some of these films, they can probably, you know, make all of their money back on how much they paid to actually get them made. So they might as well try. That'd be my logic. The, you, um... the Bloomberg report says uh, that Apple currently doesn't have the staff or the talent to handle a wide international theatrical release themselves. So they're looking for... Um, traditional film studios to basically just handle the distribution. So Mm -hmm. in the case of Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Paramount will be handling theatrical distribution. um, But then some of their other titles, they don't have studios attached. So they're currently negotiating for, you know, how much money is the distribution studio going to get paid for doing this and stuff. So Yeah. Does does, uh, theatrical release have more exposure on uh, reception than, than streaming on your own platform does? I would say so. Yeah, like, like I mean, it's okay, to... okay. If you're Netflix, probably not. But mm. if you're Apple TV Plus, the number of subscribers is still quite low. So yeah, having having uh, you know having a wide availability in, in cinemas makes your film more noticeable. Like especially in the UK, like you take the UK for instance, right? Like TV, however popular TV Plus is in America, it's probably a tenth as popular as it is over here. Like I, I'd struggle to name anybody who has it here um, that I know. Uh, but you can imagine that if a big film comes out, some people see it in the cinema. People talk about it like, oh, I want to go see that film. Oh, but it's um, you know leaving theaters or whatever. Oh, I just watch it on streaming. Oh, it's on TV Plus, and you go there. Like, I think it's a decent funnel. I would give it. A, I'd think. It, I think it makes sense. And then uh, Amazon's also doing a very similar strategy. They've announced they're spending about a billion dollars a year to release twelve or so, a dozen or so theatrical films annually. So yeah. clearly, these big tech companies think it has a merit of a strategy. Well, another another side of that though is that if a, a movie is in theaters, then you typically know what the budget was and then what it brings in for the first weekend uh, and then overall eventually. And so you know if, if the movie like heavily flopped and lost money or if it was just a dud or if it was a hit. Whereas on streaming services, whether it's Apple TV or Netflix, you only, you only, you only know what they tell you and it yeah. isn't going to be much. So that that by participating in theaters more than they are now, this could – it would be an exciting little performance in general, at least early performance for movies that you don't get currently. All right. Uh, and then lastly, I watched Extrapolations came out last uh, Friday. First three episodes came out, which I was pleased to see because I like to binge shows. Uh, and I told you I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I think it's a cool song concept. We, we both agreed that it would probably, just because the cast is so different, there's so many so much big talent involved, that they couldn't have a single story go, you know, across the decades and have the the the, the all star cast in every episode. So we thought it's probably not like a, a continuous story. It's more like here's one, you know, of this year. Here here are these characters in this story, and then it changes week to week. Um, there is like a line through of of a story, you know, being told, um, and like it seems it seems like the the bigger cast members are just like like the guest stars for that episode. But there's also a you know, a single story that you're following over the decades. I really enjoyed it and look forward to seeing the rest of the season because I, I was surprised that there's, it's not just the, this is the climate projection based on what we know now. If we do nothing or do little in 10 years and 20 years and 50 years, et cetera. But also there is this like, you know, it, it could be its own storytelling experience all on its own. Um, you said the reviews are bad. Yeah. The critical reviews are pretty negative on it. But I mean, what some they, stuff. What are they, they saying? They're saying it's very um, 
like hokey and on the nose and not very sophisticated basically in it in the way it tells its story yeah see i thought it could be that but i didn't think it was so well i mean some of the critics say stuff and i disagree with them and other times they agree with them so i'm not like just because the official critical um, websites say it's bad i mean it's not good in terms of awards like you know you want the critics to be on side if you want to win emmys and stuff Mm -hmm. um but in terms of you know what you like as a general audience i mean a lot of apple's films got panned and um they tend to be quite good so like i never really rely on the critics to like hunt definitively say if something's good or bad but yeah, yeah like critically it didn't receive very good yeah um, what, what, do they, what do they say about hell tomorrow <laughs> yeah they didn't like that either yeah, so. yeah. Well, yeah. They, they which i think you agree with right <laughs> i can't i can't wait for the finale just to just for it to be over because <laughs> like i'm in this i'm in the story i want to see it, but it's so predictable and it's like such a small scale of a story too where it could be something um grandiose and exciting but just like it's just like sad it's like a bummer <laughs> and, and not but yeah not i was um i was hi- hyped on extrapolation and then the critical reviews come out and i was like oh maybe not yeah. but then yeah. you said it was pretty good so i'm down to check it out yeah, yeah, you, yeah i was like hey watch the extrapolation pretty good and you're like oh the reviews are better <laughs> i think i'm gonna watch shrinking first though because well it's better i mean it's, it's and the I, season finale I, is t- today as we come out of the episode yeah well we come out on thursdays now yeah we come out thursdays so. yeah check yourself but I, I, I think that shrinking, the, the universe is shrinking is, uh, it could be many, many years, in the, you know, of content. The universe is not shrinking. No, it's expanding. Exciting. Uh, all right. That is the Happy Hour podcast this week. If you enjoyed the show, please follow on uh, Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe on Apple Podcast and uh, hear the ad-free version. We appreciate everyone who supports us directly that way and everyone who supports our sponsors. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter at ApolloZach. I have a, a different Mastodon that I'm diving back into. Uh, it, it's ZAC at LunarPunk.social. So check that out. Benjamin, you're on the internet. Where are you? BZA Mayo. Okay. Everywhere with BZA Mayo, including Everywhere BZA Mayo. Yeah. All right. I'll check you out on Pinterest at BZA Mayo. And, yeah, I don't uh, have a Pinterest. We'll talk to everyone next week. Bye, y'all. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>